You're listening to the one of us.net podcast network. All right. Welcome to the three people who actually care to listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is the Eyes on the Prize podcast with your host, Justin Zarian. Uh, what is Eyes on the Prize, you may ask? Well, other than a clever rhyming scheme, it is an attempt to discuss about the award season. Now, for those who maybe are novices to the field here, this is about the Academy Awards for the first part. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on to the award season because it's, I mean... Where to begin? There's just so much that goes on with the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild. We're not going to talk about every single thing right now, so don't worry. <laughs> this is gonna—it's gonna be a, quite an experience. Uh, this is a limited cast. It'll go on through till the Academy Awards ceremony down in March. Uh, I believe the fourth. That is correct. And it's gonna be quite a year because. I mean, 2017 is chaotic enough already, but what's the state of the race right now? What's going on? Who's who's in the lead? Who are the uh, the front runners? We're going to try to discuss that and see if there's anything really worth to note. Um, and who do I have on with me today? Well, I am very happy to have two very special guests, uh, people who I've been listening to for a while now and really respect for their great commentary and their insights. Uh, first of all, we got Ian Butcher here. Ian, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Uh, introduce yourself, if you will. Uh, just uh, pimp out your sites, pimp out your shows, whatever you like to do, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, I'm over on uh, DoubleToasted.com. Uh, I host uh, Sammy Ain't Seen Shit and try to be the uh, voice of reason on that show. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you can also find me over on oneofus.net. I pop up on the reviews and the breakfast pub and some of the other shows from time to time. I just sort of float around between the two show- or the two sites when I'm needed. Yeah, that's kind of what I did back in the day, too. <laughs> and it's like, well, making the quizzes was kind of impossible for Double Toasted. I wasn't very good at it. So <laughs> one of us became kind of my home. But, yeah, no, I've been listening to a lot of your casts, uh, especially if people – if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, there's the Twin Peaks co- uh, podcast that Ian was a part of for – you know, for most of the episodes, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to try to do, uh, hopefully, if all of our schedules align, we're going to try to do one more episode on that uh, Twin Peaks of Final Dossier book here in a couple of weeks. Right, yeah. No, because that came out uh, a few weeks ago, didn't it? Yeah, Halloween night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it read it in a couple of hours, and it's, uh, it's a really interesting read if you're a fan of that show. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i still making my way through the l- most recent season. It's uh, mm. quite a... I think I actually stopped right at episode eight, so oh, my brain needed to repair itself after that. <laughs> just like, <laughs> what, what did I just watch? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and I was funny. I um, I IA for a TV history professor, and he really wanted to see my reaction to that episode. Just like, Justin, just tell me when you get to episode eight. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. But yeah, no, thank you, Ian, for being on here. And then... Also to the right of my Skype call here, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, J.C. DeLeon. J.C., how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Excellent. Uh, feel free to pimp yourself out as well. Uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, I've been on One of Us for a while. Uh, I haven't really migrated and done anything over at Double Toasted yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I pop up on the reviews. Been really busy. We It was one of the original shows, Inside the Locker. We haven't really been able to to get together and record that although i mean we'd like to think it's still going and then i on my personal side i've got a basketball podcast called the the podcast of basketball that i run with uh, a couple of friends of mine that aren't uh, aren't on the site but um yeah i'm big into sports although uh i I love movies as well obviously um love movies so much that that this is i this idea of a podcast intrigued me and so yeah i'm very happy to be a part of it yeah no i was very surprised when i saw your name on the uh, facebook messenger um post where i'm just like what jc's interested uh, yes please <laughs> no 
<laughs> no, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, maybe not as knowledgeable about sports, but I have seen uh, and listened to a few of the episodes of the Inside the Locker, and it's really, really fun stuff for anyone who's interested. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But <clears throat> there will be the antithesis of sports being discussed here. This is the Academy Awards, the stuffiest, most official... <laughs> I don't know where to begin. Uh, this, is, this is still quite an experience for me. But uh, so for people who are interested, my experience with the Academy Awards, I I've written about this on oneofus.net. Uh, I occasionally update posts on Oscar predictions, which if you go on oneofus.net right now, there is a humongous post that I just did of my initial wave of Oscar predictions. And uh, yeah, <laughs> there's that. But <laughs> I... I've, re I've really been just a part of this, even when I was a teen, because my first exposure to this was back in 2004. Uh, I've been following Oscars a little bit through, like, newspaper clippings and those kind of things, but my first experience watching the show was 2004 when Chris Rock hosted the first time. And it's just it was just such an experience for me because I was still kind of new to the movie game. I was still trying to discover who I was as a film fan, what kind of movies there were out there. And the Oscars were kind of my gateway into quality film. Because before then, I'm like, yeah, I've never seen this film. I've never even heard of this film. And I discovered some of my all-time favorite movies just going down the Oscar list for, like, Best Pictures, various Best Actor winners. And it kind of became a bit of a game for me. I just like to just get involved with, like, who was up for the awards, who was, you know, possibly in contention. And it was just... It's just a lot of fun. And usually when think fun when you think of the Oscars, because they're three freaking hours plus every ceremony. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was really, really cool. And I really give, even though I know the Oscars are not the end all of the greatest movies of all time. They're not the end all for what you should consider your best film of the year. But it's kind of the way that I view like fantasy football. I just like the experience of being part of the game, being part of this whole, you know, Game of Thrones with the ceremony. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I'm sure, uh, Ian. Uh, what's your experiences with the Oscars in the past? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I was kind of from you know as as far back as I can remember. I'd be listening or watching watching the Oscars every year, and uh, and I distinctly remember being like ten years old, the year that uh, Return of the King like swept everything, mm -hmm. and just watching that show and being like, "This is really cool. I hope the Oscars are like this every year." And no year has lived up to that. <laughs> So you know, I've got I've got kind of like a like a mixed relationship with the the whole awards thing because I do think kind of what you're saying it is a lot of fun the uh, you know the the almost competition aspect of it and watching you know as the months progress seeing you know what's going to be the forerunner this week and then watching it change you know next week um, but at the same time it's I, I feel like I feel like people can get too caught up in in a lot of the awards stuff and they see it as like the end all be all of uh, legitimizing a movie's success or lack of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That can be a little bit of a problem, especially it, it's funny, like you said, like sometimes like week by week, people can, uh, movies can really just, you know, drop the, uh, they, they can, they can really just, their fortunes can change overnight kind of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, and sometimes unfairly, where it's just like, oh yeah, this film was going to be the big predictor and then it came out and then it just nosedives in its oh, yeah. prospects. Yeah. That, that's it, happened more often than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the type of thing that like, whenever that happens, I find with, with a lot of the Oscar stuff. Because the the environment seems so cutthroat that when something comes out and it doesn't quite connect in that way, the movie's immediately written off as a failure, mm -hmm. which is something that I've always kind of had an issue with. Because I'm like, well, it, it's not just because it didn't work at this one festival doesn't necessarily mean that the movie's not good. You know, it might not have just worked for that audience. And so there's a lot of that, like, kind of very very quick to jump to conclusions um, 
with with this, this especially this time of year that I do kind of have a lot of mixed feelings about. Yeah, no, I agree. It it, it it sometimes means that certain films will suddenly become front runners that even I don't personally agree. Where it's like, you know, and this may seem like a controversial opinion. Where I'm like, I really liked Moonlight a lot, but I was surprised when it started to get the like best picture buzz out of the gate kind of thing. Just like, what? Where did this come from? Mm. And, and, and you know, granted, it, I mean, I'm not unhappy at one, and I'm sure they're un- they're very happy at one because they almost didn't win at one point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's this is one of those things because even I mean, I wasn't the La La Land supporter either, but I mean, I really like La La Land a lot. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's really weird the way that turns out. But you know, and again, it's all about who you know, who you reach out to, and who responds to the film. But uh, JC, then, uh, what's some of your history behind um, you know your experience with Academy Awards? Um, well, I think it's kind of, it's kind of like you, like you said, sort of, uh, kind of tying sports into it. I think you, throughout the year, you find these, these movies that you really love and you, you root for them. Um, and you know, you hope they do well and there's different, you know, different awards, uh, award ceremonies throughout the year that they, they, you know, they excel in and get awarded in and get that recognition and you just can continue to root for it. And it's a fascinating process also seeing the way, um, a movie can generate uh, so much really early buzz. Like you almost never want to be that first one out the gate, um, because it it, al- it almost invariably you know some something else is gonna is gonna you know come knock you off that pedestal. Um, so that's always interesting to see. Um, I think this year it's also a fascinating uh, prospect award season in general because I mean we're we're literally watching the Hollywood landscape change before our eyes and the way things used to be, uh, and the way you know. Even sort of with, uh, you know, uh, the movie that won last year. Well, you know, pol- the political landscape is, t- is taking more and more of a, you know, is being ever present throughout. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to make this all of this year's ceremony, not just the Academy Awards. I think even the Golden Globes, being from the Hollywood Foreign Press, I think you're going to see a changing of the guard, and uh, it's going to be cool to see. Yeah, no, and it's interesting too the way that so far they're really not responding to it in some ways because I believe there was the governor's ball that happened a week or so ago, and the big headline was, yeah, we're kind of just ignoring all the scandals that happened. We're gonna yeah. make maybe like one token reference to it, but we're just gonna try to not because you know. And I think that's the the hard part for them, you know. I guess that Hollywood ego thing. A lot of big people got taken down with this stuff and are continuing to be taken down with yeah. this. So I'm sure they're not really comfortable and ready to fully address it just yet. I mean, maybe in time when the ceremony comes around, they will. But uh, and it's funny, too, because thinking that I was I do remember thinking a lot of years. I'm like, you know, this Weinstein movie was pretty good, but best picture worthy. I'm not sure if it would have gotten there without that much power behind it. And, yeah, and it, it, sorry to cut you off. It just, it Yeah, it. it it taints a lot of things. Like I remember the year uh, a football documentary called Undefeated won. Great film. Yeah, and I was really rooting for that film because I saw it at South by Southwest that year, and uh, I thought it was really such a great real life sports story. Then I found out Harvey we- Harvey Weinstein produced it, and this is at the time, so like well before any of the stuff that that's happened this year. Uh, I found out he produced it, and then sort of found out just kind of how all that goes for some of the smaller awards like documentary and, and foreign film and things like that. And I was like, well, well, Harvey's got the money. So I think even if this wins, it's, it's sort of tainted it a little bit, even back then and especially now. So it's like, I think, I think it'll be cool for somebody like that to not really have his fingerprint on, on the awards now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, I do notice too, like you're saying, the change of the guard, there's a lot of new studios coming up uh, that are trying to become 
that new power player in the award ceremony. Like, A24, obviously, last year, they made their mark with Moonlight, and that's something they've been working for for a long time. And I, uh, I'm i trying to remember what... Oh, it's a Florida project that's really one of their big pushes this year. Yeah. Which may or may not happen. We'll get into that later on. But... Um, it's it's one of the first ones, so that's you kind of don't want to be that one. Yeah, exactly. No, that was one of the earliest releases for this uh, cycle here. But then also, uh, I noticed there's some other companies like uh, Neon, the guys who are producing Itania, and that's really their first like shot across the bow trying to get into the game as well. And that one, I'm, you know... It's always it's always nice to see those films that come out of nowhere where it's like, yeah, this sounds like an interesting project to, oh, wait, Oscar-worthy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of like that. But, uh, yeah, so going from there, uh, I just want to ask you, like, what are maybe some of your favorite, like, memorable moments from any ceremonies that you've watched in the past? Uh, Ian, what about you in that case? I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, it might be too soon, but that, uh, that La La Land moment last year was simultaneously one of the most cringeworthy and one of the most like hilarious things I think I've ever seen. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and um and I think also kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier just um that year when Return of the King won mm-hmm. and it it felt like at least for me it was like the most honest and pure, you know, like awards ceremony I've ever seen because if you go back and watch that show and you just sort of chart the progression throughout the night and you just see like how elated that entire the entire crew of that movie gets where like by the end they all storm the stage and they're all crying as they're like this is insane i never thought this would happen it was just sort of a, a you know a nice moment that you don't really see a lot you know at these types of award shows of like genuine surprise and enthusiasm and everybody else in the room kind of being on the same page yeah i really i really like that when i watch people who win and are really grateful to win like Heck, there was that one year when uh, Three Six Mafia won, and they looked <laughs> they looked more happy and elated to be there than anybody else in that. Even John, John Stewart's just like, why are they the only ones excited to be at this ceremony? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that, those those are the genuine moments. Those are the moments we remember because people who are very grateful to see their work being recognized, and you know, especially. I mean, it's not so much that they were probably surprised with Return of the King because that was just the big runaway hit of the year. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, breaking a record like that, 11 wins out of 11 nominations. Well, and that's, that's, the, and that's the thing. Sorry to cut you off. but um, No, go ahead. Go ahead. That's, uh, that, that, that's the thing that, you know, that kind of became a running joke during that show is the fact that, like, every category, um, when there was a category that didn't have Return of the King, everybody was sort of, you know, breathing a sigh of relief because they knew that they had a shot at winning. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like when Game of Thrones gets nominated for something. They're like, yeah. oh, we, we beat Game of Thrones this year." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, there, and there's also there's always those times when uh, you'll have somebody who, who who wins an award who you know it's been long overdue. You know, they, it's you know they they probably should have won it five ten years ago, but they're just now winning it. Um, like I th- I think back to uh, about. Th- three years ago when uh alfonso coran won for gravity yeah which yeah. which in my opinion he probably should have been given an oscar a long time ago but it was just nice to see him finally getting the recognition in that in that in that respect um that he's that he's frankly deserved for you know 15 20 years yeah and especially because gravity took so long to produce for him i mean what like six seven years right to make that film yeah yeah which is hilarious because if you watch uh, on the uh, on the Blu-ray, there's interviews of him from right when they were starting to make Gravity, and he was talking about how he's like, yeah, it's such a visual effects-heavy movie. This will probably only take about a year on my part, and then I can go off and make another movie while they render all the effects. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Oh, man. I, that, that is some wishful thinking on his part. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> No, that's that's amazing. Uh, and I remember seeing that because Gravity, you know, kind of swept a bunch of categories that year, too. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Just, 
deservingly so. I totally agree. But yeah, um, yeah JC, uh, what about some like any memorable moments for you uh, from previous Academy Awards? Um, I, it's kind of sometimes it's a kind of silly things. Like I remember uh, when Roberto Benigni won, and he was like so excited to have won. <laughs> It, and I didn't see the movie that he won for, but it, it made me and a couple of my friends like go back and like watch his his Pinocchio movie, and it was just oh, like no. I was just like oh, I love this guy. Like this guy is like so excited, enthusiastic. Uh, so I mean, those are kind of some of the silly things. Um, I I always remember, um, <laughs> and it's kind of the the petty sports fan in me. Like I like I hold res- I still hold resentment to the King's speech because I love the social network that much and I felt like the social <laughs> network really should have won that movie and especially looking and that's kind of another the interesting thing about award season as as time passes you see which movies really really hold up for people and like nobody talks about the King's speech anymore and like people you know the, I think people maybe not talk about the social network but I think if you were to ask a majority of people now they'd be like yeah I'd rather watch that movie so yeah, stuff like that. I, I I hold resentment towards Toy Story three for taking the animated Oscar from How to Train Your Dragon because I love How to Train Your <laughs> Dragon. Uh, so yeah, things like that, and 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 I hold on to to the wins. I I was uh was really happy for The Departed that year. That was my favorite movie that year. Uh, happy wow. that Martin Scorsese won his Oscar that year. Um, so yeah, those those are the things you hold on to. Yeah, I mean, and that year they're really. I mean, when I think of the nominees, they're up that year against The Departed. I don't think anyone else should have won. Like, Letters from Iwo Jima was probably my favorite of those picks, but The Departed was the one that should have won just because of the legacy behind it, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's... <laughs> Man, that just made me think about uh, Toy Story 3, just like... Uh, Come on, how, how could you hate Toy Story 3 for winning over How to Train Your Dragon, man? Yeah, I don't hate it. It's just that it, it was... That was, one of the, that was, I think, one of the first years that was up to nine Best Picture nominees, and, and that was one of them. So I was like, well, that's not fair. Obviously, that's going to win the Best Animated Oscar now. Like, it shouldn't count. Yeah. So it shouldn't be and eligible I my, for the Animated Oscar. Yeah, I, I have my problem with the animated category in general, and we'll talk about that when we get into the uh, some of the new stories we I have selected on the itinerary. But, uh, I mean, I, I really don't like the monopolizing of Disney and Pixar for that. Like, it's just... I mean, no offense to either of them. They make good movies on the whole, but it's a very populous category compared to a lot of the other ones. Yeah. Um, but uh, thinking about some of my favorite moments, uh, I really, really love Chris Rock's monologue a couple years back uh, when they were really addressing the whole, you know, Oscars so white controversy. I felt like, you know, for such a heated topic, for such a heated moment that could have happened, I felt that he addressed it really, really well uh, in trying to make it light and humorous but still pointed at making a point kind of thing yeah uh he did really help it later on when he brought in the uh, asian accountant kids uh, joke later on which is like eh, a little tone deaf in that joke but uh yeah i thought that at least the monologue was a really strong way to start the ceremony itself and then going through some historical moments actually i you know obviously once i looked at the oscars uh when i was a kid i go went through like the history of all the craziest moments and the awesome moments and the one that always stood out to me was the one, <laughs> um, I want to say it was David Nevin, when during the ceremony and he was about to announce the uh, category he was up for, some random streaker just walked onto the stage and ran past the camera. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that uh, video. It's on YouTube right now. But it's, it's amazing. It's, it is amazing. And the fact that he could keep his composure and then respond with a joke about making fun of his dick size. <laughs> it was very cla- weirdly classy for <laughs> such a situation. But uh, that always stuck out to me. But then um, I also wanted to ask, like, you know, we talk about, like you were saying, like your favorite movie that won that year or something like that. Like, 
if you thought there was like a really deserving win that happened the last few years, which one would you say it was? Uh, Ian, what, what, what would you say like was maybe one of the most deserving wins you saw in the last maybe 10 years? Um, man, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I think back to 2006 when, when, yeah, like what you were mentioning earlier, when Scorsese finally got his Oscar for Departed. Cause that was one of those, one of those, uh, one of those things that you just felt like, well, why hadn't this happened yet? Why hadn't this guy gotten that recognition that way yet? And to finally see him win, you know, was this, 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 uh, moment of like, okay, okay, cool. That now, you know, this guy who in pretty much audience's eyes is, you know, looked up to as his master, but maybe in the eyes of the Academy is looked up to as this guy who just kind of makes these kind of violent gangster movies is finally getting the recognition that he's deserved. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, uh, the stuff that, when you think about the films that are up against some of his classics, like what um, the year Taxi Driver came out, I want to say that was either uh, ooh, 74. Uh, I think that was Godfather Part Two. They won that year. That he was oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously he wasn't going to win for that one. Yeah. Uh, first film at the gate. But then thinking too, it's like 1980 for Raging Bull. Or I think Ordinary People beat him that year. Yep. And Ordinary People, I still have not yet seen this movie, and. No one seems to remember it. It has no Blu-ray release. It's barely on DVD on Amazon kind of thing. Uh, and then, what, 1990 with Goodfellas, Dances with Wolves. I mean, and Dances with Wolves is a fine film overall, but when you think, like, people say, like, what's the best film in 1990, I doubt ba- Dances with Wolves will be on the top of that list, but... Yeah, it's yeah, it's another case of, yeah, how, thing, how things resonate years years after after something, not necessarily undeserving, but it's like... Yeah, uh, what's really going to hold up to the test of time? And yeah, movies like Goodfellas, Departed, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's just interesting to look back and see all that stuff. But yeah, no, it makes it really excited. Yeah, when Mar- Mar- Scorsese finally won, you're just like, <laughs> of course, that thing that the Academy does that kind of drives me crazy when they know they have a historic win or a certain winner up, they'll coordinate the announcer to be someone you know related to the situation. So it's like, oh yeah, when Scorsese won, who do they bring on? Uh, they brought in... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. You know, just yeah. like, hey, all these historic directors, and guess who they're going to give it to? Martin Scorsese. I don't know. It seems very transparent to the Oscars sometimes. Or even, uh, what is it, freaking Barbara Streisand giving the director prize to Catherine Bigelow. Which, I mean, Catherine Bigelow, that was a great win, and I love The Hurt Locker. But it's, it's sometimes part of that thing with the ceremonies I'm a little not crazy about. But uh, uh, JC, like, was there any particularly deserving wins other than Scorsese? I mean, I'm sure that's probably a default answer for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, um, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite writer, and so yeah, him winning for the Social Network, um, like as, as disappointed as I was in it not winning Best Picture, I would have been really super upset if uh, he didn't win for Best Screenplay that year. Yeah, no, I mean, he totally deserved to win that one. And actually, um, one category I was really excited that that film won was for editing as well, because uh, I got to say that you know, for as good the writing is on Social Network. The way it's edited really complements the style of the writing as well. Just, uh, you know, the uh, fractured narrative, the pace that it's edited to keep up with the dialogue. I think it's just, you know, really well-crafted film to match such quality writing for that story. And, uh, yeah, it was really, really cool when, when I saw that win. <clears throat> but um, I think for me, one of the really deserving wins that I saw, and this is, you know, personal favorite kind of thing, but the 2013 when Spike Jones won for screenplay for her. Mm. And... I feel really sad that her isn't really talked about as much as like being one of those great modern sci-fi films. And sure, it's a very quiet, it's a very, you know, intimate movie. And it's probably not one you'd say like, you know, thousands of people will go watch it, which when I went to go see, I was like maybe one of like five people in the theater with my girlfriend and a couple other friends. (laughs) But uh, 
I just thought that, you know, this is such a profound and awesome and cool movie. And it's nice to see Spike Jones getting recognized for something finally, you know, because uh, I think it was being John Malkovich who was nominated before and then an adaptation and those films kept getting beat out. So for a film that I feel is one of his very best works, it was really nice to see him get recognized for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. love that I mean, movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And I would think that was my favorite that year, which is funny because I didn't want to be that guy to just agree with Chris when he said that during the um, the One of Us review. He's like, oh, yeah, this is my favorite movie of the year. And then I watched it afterwards. I'm like, yeah, you're right, Chris. You're <laughs> totally right. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> hey, <clears throat> the band's got good taste. What can I say? <laughs> but um, <clears throat> sorry, I got a little frog in my throat here. <laughs> but uh Anyway, uh, now that we've got a little bit of that setup um, done, I wanted to talk a bit about some of the notable events going on in the award season. Uh, the first off, uh, the big one that just happened yesterday, the Indie Spirit Awards released their nominations. Now, let's not take this Indie Spirit Awards as being like an end-all for Oscar predictions because, well, <laughs> there's some films in the Indie Spirit Awards that you'll only see there and you'll never, ever hear about again. But... Uh, to be fair, this year, I think a lot of these guys will translate a little bit more into future Oscar success. Because, um, let's see, so the four film, I mean, no, the five films that are up for best picture this year are Call Me By Your Name, The Florida po- Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, and The Writer. Now, we can rule out The Writer as being an Oscar candidate. I'm just really curious about this because the four films here, you know, uh, outside of The Writer, I think they actually have some chance of crossing over to some Oscar success. Now, have you guys seen any of these films uh, of the, um, on the list here? Uh, I've seen uh, Lady Bird. Can you go over the other four, please? Oh, sorry, sorry. So it's uh, Call Me By Your Name, uh, The Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, and The Writer. Okay, yeah. Uh, Lady Bird and Get Out. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now, I, saw, I saw Florida Project, and it is it is quite good. Okay, cool, because I remember I talked to uh, Patrick Gertz from Double Toasted, and he very famously hated that movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Gertz is really the type for that type no. of movie, but um, but it's interesting just seeing these kind of films. Uh, they're very, they don't seem like Academy favorites, but at the, you know, out of nowhere, like Get Out, like I'm amazed Get Out is getting as much Oscar push as it is because I mean, it was a huge hit. It was really, really a good movie, but I don't know, like, could, could you guys see Get Out getting a Best Picture nomination this year? Uh, in in today's climate, absolutely, and honestly, I think it kind of deserves it. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, I could I could see it getting nominated although what i'm what i'm kind of hoping for it is uh is screenplay because that is i heard in, in an interview jordan peele say he's like everything about the screenplay like everything means something later on and every time i rewatch it um you just you connect two dots that are really far apart in the movie just because it's such a tight smart screenplay there's not a wasted word in that screenplay it's such a smart <laughs> really amazing one and i i hope it at least gets recognized for that yeah and i mean usually a lot of these kind of offbeat films like that will often get like a screenplay recognition because it's like yeah it's too weird for best picture but you know a nomination or possibly a win would be kind of the um how to say you know kind of throwing a bone to the team there and yeah i think get out definitely has the merit to do that but yeah i i could actually see it getting a best picture nomination especially because honestly this year so far, it's a little shallow with uh, what's really, like, a frontrunner for Best Picture. Because, I mean, I don't know if there really is a frontrunner just yet. I mean, unless I'm mistaken in that case. Not really, which is weird because we're in late November. And, yeah, there's nothing that you could really, you know, get a handle on exactly of, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to win Best Picture. This is going to be the main frontrunner. Honestly, it, yeah, it's a really, the, the race at this point still very up in the air. 
Yeah, I mean, like, what, the thing that's getting the most praise right now that's been in theaters is uh, Lady Bird. And I feel like that's kind of, like, the hot topic one because it's Greta Gerwig, you know, behind it. And it's, you know, female director, small little film. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's really popular with the community. You know, and why not? She's a great actress. But uh, it's just interesting. And then also um, talking about Call Me By Your Name, uh, this one's really interesting for me because with so much of what's going on and the scandals and that kind of stuff, the subject matter of Call Me By Your Name theoretically should ward off people i would say yeah 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 and and yet somehow it's getting really embraced like do you feel like that's maybe because of its status of being a foreign international film in that case or like what do you think's going on there i don't know it's it's hard to say it doesn't um it, it's weird kind of how as far as with these types of controversies some some people let you know certain things matter and some people let other things pass um yeah i'm not sure it it I mean, I've only seen the trailer, so I mean, maybe people who've seen the whole movie can and can attest to it, and and it say that it's really not as as nefarious as you know as it seems on the surface, but um, because it seems like a consensual relationship despite the ages, and so maybe that's, yeah. that's sort of where where the line is okay. Yeah, and for people who don't know who are listening to this, uh, the idea goes around um, the main character Timothy Chalamet, who's playing a seventeen-year-old getting into a relationship with a. I mean, they say college student, but Army Hammer is not college age. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, the idea with an older, um, you know, homosexual lover in that case. Although I, it sounds like it's also somewhat bisexual, but it, yeah, I, I, I still have to see the movie for myself. But yeah, apparently people are saying that it's good enough a movie and yeah, with the, I guess the definitions of the consensual, um, consensual nature of it. It's just going to be interesting to see if that actually translates to Oscar success with how, you know, hot button issue this is right now but uh yeah i mean and, and good good for the director though because i haven't seen his previous two films yet uh, have you guys seen uh, uh i am love or uh those kind of films uh no but i'm i'm really curious because that uh that director he his next movie is the suspiria remake that's right yeah uh, with uh chloe grace moratz i believe yeah yeah so I'm, I'm i'm interested to see what this guy going forward um especially after how this movie's received where his career is going to go. Yeah, and I'm sure this is kind of that step to, like, you know, promote him to the spotlight and then say, like, oh, yeah, this, you know, Oscar-nominated director, you know, theoretically, if he gets a nomination, yeah. that, you know, this is really good, so watch the Superior remake. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who goes uh, from there. But it, um, one film I'm, I'm very eager to see about this, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, too, but um, for Best Director, there was a little bit of translation there. Uh, All But Lady Bird got a director nomination in that category. But one film that got a nomination and I'm really happy about is the movie Good Time. Uh, yeah. Benny Safdie and Josh Safdie. And so, yeah, Ian, you've seen it then, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fantastic. Excellent. And then, um, JC, have you seen Good Time yet? I have not yet. Uh, that's uh, something I need to get to. Yeah, no, it actually just came out on Blu-ray this week as of this recording. But uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, uh, for probably the push for some of these indie films, that film is really, really small. I mean... Do you think it has any potential for crossing over if if it gets a good enough backing um, for, for, for the Oscar gold or anything like that? Um, I think it might. I mean, again, it, yeah, it is a really small movie, but um, it, it's one of those movies that, you know, it was talked about a lot early on in kind of the awards cycle. And even though it's not a front runner, it has just sort of lingered around for a while. So I think it might, you know, it might not get any of the big stuff, but there might be, you know, maybe Robert Pattinson gets a nomination, maybe, you know. The screenplay or the editing gets. You know, Wouldn't gets that be crazy if the guy from Twilight got an actor nomination? Hey, I, <laughs> I, I would. I would say the same thing, but honestly, watching him in that movie, like he, he is that that level of good. Like this is. I'm not much of a Robert Pattinson fan, but 
this was kind of that like holy shit performance that I've been wanting to see from him for a while. Oh yeah, like I barely recognized him the way that he performed in that movie. Yeah, definitely. Really, really good. He's uh, he's always but, seemed somebody who's who's capable of something like that despite the Twilight movies. Like even I mean even Kristen Stewart I kind of maintain I think she's um I think she's great. I just despite those movies I think there's potential for for those two. Yeah, and you know and, and Kristen Stewart's had a chance to prove herself with some of her recent films like uh, Clouds of Silmaria and uh, personal shopper and that stuff to show, hey, I have more to offer than being, you know, Bella. <laughs> to, uh, for the, and, and I mean, hey, she's got that recognition, I think, of being the first American to win a Cesar Award, you know, in like 20-something years. So, hey, maybe Pattinson, this is his time to shine now. But uh, we'll see. I mean, this is kind of his first big, like, you know, I think all-around critical success that he's had lately. So maybe it's probably not going to be, you know, even if he doesn't get a nomination or a win, Maybe this will lead to something in the future that will give him a bigger profile in that case. Yeah, and I do feel like uh, A24 put it out. I do feel like um, it's the type of movie that as the award season goes on, they might put more of their Oscar push behind something like maybe Florida Project or, or honestly probably more Disaster Artist. Which that's uh, the point I was going to bring up next because uh, when Best Actor for Male Lead uh, was nominated, a lot of these guys, I mean, some of them will translate. Like I'm pretty sure Timothy Chalamet is going to get a nomination because – People have been pushing him really, really hard for Call Me By Your Name. But the guy I've been seeing in a lot of categories, I mean, a lot of um, uh, nominations so far, almost across the board, is James Franco for The Disaster Artist. Now, I I doubt the movie's probably going to get a Best Picture nomination because I, I don't know if people could have been conscious say, oh, yeah, the movie about The Room is the Best Picture of the Year. Yeah, which, that's, that would be so mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, which I I mean, I think if I remember, I put it on my predictions because I'm like, hey, if it's a good movie, I don't care what it's about. It is. It is but, a fantastic movie. <laughs> OK, I cannot wait to see it because I know you and Chris and a few other people have seen it as well. Uh, have you seen it yet, Ian? Uh, no, I'm seeing it here in a couple of days. Oh, awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I cannot wait to see it. And everyone says James Franco is probably the single best part of that movie because he's just so I mean, obviously he directed himself. So he had a bit more uh, control over how he wanted to do the performance. But uh, yeah, I mean. Would that be crazy to see a guy playing Tommy Wiseau getting an Oscar nomination? I I really <laughs> want to see that, <laughs> and it would just be an excuse to invite the real Tommy Wiseau to an Academy Award ceremony. Okay, yeah, I never thought I would live to see that day, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean maybe am I wrong saying this that I think of the potential actor candidates, James Franco might be one of the most solid like leading contenders right now. Probably, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean and. The other people who are from male lead, I Harris Dickinson for a movie called Beach Rats, which I've not seen or really heard about before this. Uh, it's not good. Okay, okay. So at least we have someone here who's actually seen it. Can yeah, it's, it's I, yeah. I, I've got a lot of issues with that movie, but yeah, it's I I don't think it's a performance that's strong enough to to really warrant any type of awards recognition like that. Okay, so Indie Spirit's kind of the right, the right place to recognize it, if anything. Yeah, yeah, that's probably good then. Um, but then uh, one who. It's going to be interesting because actually what I've been noticing when I was doing my uh, Oscar predictions this year, there isn't really a lot of diverse contenders that are being pushed for acting categories. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to push for some in the, the upcoming month, but uh, it seems very, uh, very white right now. But one person who's probably going to get a little bit of a push because of the film is uh, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. And I've been wrestling with this because it's one of the things where, like, on the one hand, he's really, really good in that movie. Like... For a guy who I really didn't know very well before I watched that film, uh, he really, really stood out uh, as being a strong leading man type. Uh, but 
I'm still not sure yet if he can make it through to like an Oscar nomination for best lead, you know, lead actor. Uh, what do you think, Ian? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think his performance in Get Out is fantastic, but it is a type of thing, and this isn't meant to be a slight on his performance at all, but I just don't know, yeah, if it's, if it's the caliber of performance to necessarily warrant a nomination. But then again, if you were to ask me, well, what's his competition really right now? I mean, other than James Franco, I couldn't really give you a good answer. Yeah, I think James Franco and then Gary Oldman for Darkest Hours, like mm, the, the yeah. big one everyone's pushing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, am I wrong saying that as well, uh, JC, in that case? No, um, you, you make a strong case for it in that, in sort of the lack of competition. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing really in the Get Out performance that, it, it it's a great performance, but it, it doesn't really have any kind of those, those standout moments. Um, other than he can kind of do the bug out thing with his eyes sort of on cue. Um, but uh, beyond that, it is sort of a fairly standard performance. Nothing nothing about it like stands out in, in that kind of way. But it is a really good performance. Yeah, no, I'm sure if they did try to do like Oscar screeners, they're going to just thumbnail that scene of him crying in the chair being sent to the sunken place uh, as like the, the big one. Like, we don't need an Oscar scene. We have an Oscar image. <laughs> that's our category. I mean, that's our competition there. But um uh, what's going to be interesting there then uh, is the female lead category. And I feel like this one on the uh, the Indie Spirit Awards, they actually had a little bit more crossover because the three big ones they showed are Francis McDormand for Three Billboards, uh, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, and Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. I feel pretty confident they're going to translate to the actual categories in the yeah. end. Yeah, amazingly, those are all three that I've seen, uh, and all three are great. Um I honestly feel like it, it could be Frances McDormand. I wouldn't be surprised to see Margot Robbie win for I, Tanya. Um, I could see Saoirse getting nominated. I don't... The two, uh, I, Tanya and, and Three Billboards, I think those two performances were really amazing. And I think everything they do would sort of outweigh everything that Saoirse Ronan does in, in Lady Bird, which is the only reason why I wouldn't say she doesn't necessarily have a chance, but she should absolutely be nominated. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I love Saoirse Ronan. I, I you know... Ever since that she broke out with Atonement, she's just been kind of getting better and better. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's still, it's not the role to say like, oh, this is the one that will define Saoirse Ronan's career. Or right. Like that. It's like, no, it's a really solid performance. Kind of like, um, kind of like Brooklyn was, where it's like, Brooklyn was a very fine movie with a very fine performance from her, but you wouldn't say that was the best, best performance I saw all year. Right. So I think that's probably, that's a fair enough assessment then, I would say. Um, And then, I mean, aside from that, I mean, there's... There's some other translations uh, in a couple other categories, like, uh, what is it, Alice Janney from I, Tanya. It seems like everyone's pretty sure she's going to be one of the frontrunners for supporting female. Yeah, uh, or the supporting yeah I can category. see that. Yeah, and then uh, same with uh, Laurie Metcalf as well from Lady Bird, uh, which, I mean, uh, with, having seen the movie, uh, JC, what do you think of uh, Laurie Metcalf in that, in that movie? I don't feel like she's sort of in it enough. I think there, there's, there are a lot of great scenes where the, the two are playing off of each other really well. But I think when I think of how Margot and Alice and Jenny play off of each other in Itania, that seems more, more dynamic to me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I mean, yeah. So we've kind of gone through the big points there. Uh, there's a few other categories, um, but most of them, again, they kind of recognize some of the smaller, some of the more obscure films, uh, or the ones that, again, people will probably never see. And you know, fine, they're too small enough to, I mean, too small to get any kind of push for serious award recognition, but. Good for them. They, they get this chance to shine. I mean, you know, again, Beat Rats probably isn't Oscar-worthy to begin with in the first place, but um, that, that, that's that. We'll probably see a lot more, like, 
the, the race will shape up a lot more once we see like the Golden Globes or other categories get announced. But um, going from there, there was another thing that was announced was the Producers Guild uh, documentary nominee. And this is, I mean, this isn't really a big one that we'll dwell much as much on as the indie spirit, but it's interesting because usually Producers Guild is pretty solid at predicting things that will translate. Like for Best Picture candidates, it's almost guaranteed that like four out of five of the Producer Guild nominees will translate to Best Picture candidates uh, for the Oscars. Um, the documentary prize, not so much of <laughs> what I've noticed. And even um, this article on The Wrap made the point saying like, yeah, um, I mean, well, first of all, this is the first time we've had seven nominees in this category, but I think they mentioned that only three in the last decade have translated to actual winners, which was um, Searching for Sugar Man, Amy, and then OJ Made in America, which, okay, if you want to talk about undeserving films to win Best Documentary Feature, not to say <laughs> OJ in America is a bad movie, but it's a TV show. It's not a movie. I mean, am, am I wrong saying that? No, you're not wrong. <laughs> and that's a little bit of some of the jerry-rigging the Oscar does that I don't like where, okay, first of all, I'm a little upset with the fact about how Netflix translates between both Emmy and Oscar categories. It's like either you're a theatrical released movie or you're a made-for-streaming or TV thing. Just pick one. But then, yeah, that one where they just said like, oh, if we edit all the episodes together into one eight-hour movie, that counts, right? Which almost immediately after that one, they made a ban where it's impossible for another film like that to win again. So, yeah. okay, sure. I'm happy with that. But um, the other nominees that are out this year, um, I talked about it a little bit on my predictions. Um, but, you know, the, the top ones that, that I noted were like uh, Cries from Syria, Chasing Coral, Jane. But again, it's way too soon to see if those translate. Because honestly, the documentary and short categories are at least for me, kind of impossible to predict sometimes. I mean, am I mistaken saying that as well, uh, like Ian? Or? No, 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 yeah, yeah. Documentary and shorts are very much very much kind of a crapshoot as far as trying to predict them ahead of time. Oh, yeah, no, even the short categories, I've always said, uh, you know, just, I'm sure the Academy just throws up a dartboard and just, you know, rants like, okay, that film, that film, and this film <laughs> for this category. Yeah, it's always weird with the shorts. I, I screen short films for South By. South by Southwest, and most of the time the short films are terrible. And last year, I saw one short that was really good, and I recommended it to them. and And it was, I was like, "This is really good, really entertaining, nice eight minute, eight nine minute film." I was thoroughly entertained. It's a beautiful story. They rejected it, and then sure enough, come the award season, I was, it was nominated for an Oscar. I was like, "That's the short." Oh, which one was this? Uh, the one about the uh, security guards uh, dancing. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, I don't remember the name, but I think I know the one yeah, you're talking I, about. Yeah, I can't remember the name either, but I was like, it was like, it's funny, it's not too long, and it's just like, I was like, this is exactly what you're looking for, and then they rejected it, and then sure enough, gets nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> okay, I'll have to ask you once uh, I start making more predictions for short categories, then you clearly have a better taste than anyone else in that. But, uh, no, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> but, yeah, so documentaries, we'll see what happens. Uh, Cries from Syria is going to be a big one they're going to push because it's topical, but uh, I... Yeah, I, I still don't know. I mean, one of the ones I was joking with Chris uh, earlier today, there's this film called Kitty that's coming out, this documentary, and it's all about cats. Uh, I believe you mean they're uh, Win- Pakistan. Winner. Yeah, no, seriously, that's the thing. We were just joking, just like, yeah, obviously, best best documentary feature right here. Uh, <laughs> and sure enough, it's actually, there was an article posted on The Wrap where they're like, no, seriously, this is a serious contender for best documentary. Maybe not winner, but it was like, 
a film about cats. Chris is gonna love this if that film even gets nominated. But um, yeah, I'll yeah, have to ask him if he's seen it because it, it actually I, I never got a chance to see it. I actually saw that it hit iTunes recently, so I might just buy it. Oh, cool! I, I think he said he was gonna try to get a screener for it. Um, yeah. So that'll that'll be really exciting. Yeah. But um, so then other news stories. Uh, this one's just a quick one. Uh, the Golden Globes revealed that Seth Meyers is gonna host this year. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of Trump uh, jokes. Oh, gosh. I mean, and again, that was one of the things that kind of drove me crazy, the last award ceremony. And look, again, I know people, it's a free country. People have the right to express any political opinion they want, and that is totally cool. People can, you know, express whatever they want to say. But, man, we just got it by the truckload this last award cycle. Just Trump, Trump, politics, you know, liberals versus Democrats, I mean, conservatives, this, that. It just felt like it kind of took over the award cycle. Uh, and I think even it translated to like the Emmys where, you know, of course, when you get someone like Stephen Colbert to host, it's going to be full of those jokes too. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, and I don't think Seth, I don't really take Seth Meyers as seriously as, you know, one of those types because he's, he's charming enough, but I don't really, he's not really my favorite of any of the talk show hosts. But I mean, what do you think of this, Ian? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they, I think they can definitely sometimes, um, you know, by politicizing a lot of these shows and a lot of this, the, the award season so much, you can kind of forget uh, watching a lot of these shows, the reasons why you're there to watch them in the first place. But uh, I don't know. I mean, as far as Seth Meyers goes hosting it, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I think for me, the appeal of watching the Golden Globes is more watching all the celebrities get sloshed. <laughs> you know, that's really what it is. It's just watching oh, who's going to get really drunk this time. Those are some of my favorite moments. <laughs> and uh, I think I remember there was one where like, uh, Ricky Gervais wasn't even the host that year, but he got up to help present in a category, and he was wasted. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. Uh, <laughs> and I don't even remember everything he said, but... Yeah, I like seeing some of the after pictures. Like, I, one year, I think it was a picture of, like, uh, Ang Lee eating it in and out and he's still in, his tux, <laughs> still in his tuxedo. He's got his giant Oscar on the table, and he's, like, eating a burger. That... I'm sure it was lovingly photographed and scored by Gustavo Santaya or something like that. <laughs> That 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 is goals right there. That is awesome. I I need to look at that photo once we're done. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I mean I, that's fine. I mean I think if I remember, Jimmy Kimmel's hosting the Oscars again this year, and fair enough, he did a fine enough job this last year. I think you know compared to a lot of the other recent hosts, he he at least knew how to engage with the audience really well. I mean, uh, like just asking you guys too, what what were some of your favorite hosts of the last like few years? Uh, if you can name any at the top of your head. Uh... <laughs> I, yeah, no, I mean, and that's the problem is that a lot of them kind of like fall to the background in a lot of the ceremonies, but uh, it's I, it's I weird. It... Like I, I think even even in this landscape of of you know every of, you know all these sexual harassment uh, things kind of coming to light, I I was I thought the the Seth MacFarlane the I saw your boob song was funny, and I felt like. Even even then, I felt like he was coming at it from a point of, of just kind of comedy, like not really. It, I didn't feel like he was being completely misogynistic about it. I felt I felt like he was just sort of bringing to light the way a lot of people do sort of think about actresses, and so, like I don't know, I I, I thought he did an okay job that year, and I thought the I saw your boob song was funny. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't as crazy about that song, but I, I do recognize his intentions with the song, especially because that was the year when, like, everyone's nude photos were getting leaked out on cell phones and on the internet and that stuff. Right. So it was slightly topical in its weird roundabout way. <laughs> but uh, I will say probably my favorite gag that Seth Farm did that night was the uh, reenactment of Flight with Sock Puppets, if you remember that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just that one made me laugh super hard. And, and I think personally, I think Seth MacFarlane's best thing that he did that year was the actual nomination announcements. Because, again, I've always said this, like the nomination announcements, they're just getting drier and drier and drier because they're not even putting effort into like doing a ceremony anymore. They just do these pre-edited videos where they just have a bunch of people going, oh, yeah, being nominated is really cool. Here's the nominees. <laughs> you know, kind of stuff like that. But McFarlane Adam actually made a show out of it where him and Emma Stone joked about it. They made it lively and funny. And that's how you should do it. You should do it where you have people who are, you know, just commenting and, you know, lightly jabbing at the nominees, but also going like, hey, yeah, congratulations to you guys. You know, kind of like that. But, um, but yeah, and I think, so like I said, you know, Kimball did fine last year. And I think probably Chris Rock in 2015 was one of my favorite hosting jobs recently. And that's also not to say that it was flawless. It was just saying, Usually when they get hosts, they're kind of forgettable. Like freaking um, Neil Patrick Harris uh, that one year. Yeah. Where It's weird because everyone asked for that. Everyone asked for him to host. And it was kind of a be careful what you wish for because we all forgot about it almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but, Chris Rock, but yeah. as a as a presenter, has had one of my favorite jokes of all time when he presented. I forgot what year it was, but he presented an animated Oscar. And he talked about the process of, of be, being a voiceover talent. And he's right. he's like it's so easy. I walk into a studio, I say a few lines, and then they give me a million dollars. I remember that being kind of pissed off the voice actor community with that comment, just yeah. like, "Oh, good for you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, that was really funny. And he's a very charming personality, and I still remember uh, what was it? We dissed uh, Jude Law, his first hosting job, and Sean Penn had to come out and go like. Jude Law is my friend, and he's a really great actor, and this kind of stuff. I'm just like, okay, I I don't know what this says about Sean Penn or the ceremonies, but it's just a joke, people. Come yeah. On. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so going from there, that's all it was on that. Uh, the one I really wanted to talk about, uh, so they announced the contenders for animated film this year, and we talked about this a bit on Breakfast Pub, uh, or at least Chris, uh, the Chris's did. And is it me, or did the American output for animated films this year kind of suck? Yeah, that's kind of. It sort of felt like that the last two years, maybe. Um, it, it's weird though, because like I, I just saw Coco last night, uh, and Ooh. and it's really good. And so I, I, I feel, I feel it's probably going to win just because. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of competition. Like as it is right now, I can't think of what other animated movies have come out this year that have stood out. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I mean, am I wrong saying that as well, or? No, no, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, you try to look back through what's come out, and it's, you know, Boss Baby and Despicable Me 3, and really not a lot of stuff that, you know, garners a lot of enthusiasm or positive feelings in my heart. Yeah, I mean, even uh, the one I would say, like, maybe for American films, just like Lego Batman, you know, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it's, it's a winner, but it's like, yeah, 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 which was a fun movie, but I wouldn't never put it on, like, a best of the year category. Yeah. No, no. But it's interesting uh, talking about this because, you know, a lot of these films, I've never heard of, I've never seen, I don't know any trailers for them, but I kind of like the idea of looking out for foreign animated films, because a lot of foreign animated films I've seen in recent years have been really, really good, and some I even pushed as being, like, my pick of, you know, best animated feature, which, knowing they're not going to win because Disney has such a stranglehold on that category, and then part of the problem with that, too, is uh, one of the announcements that I, I added to the itinerary here is the the way they're trying to open up the animated category uh, for people to vote in it. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the idea that it's not just exclusive to animators anymore. I feel like that's a really bad idea, personally. Mm, yeah. Right, because that, that's only going to expose the bias of Disney more. Well, and not even just Disney, towards American films. Because, oh, yeah. you know, like like me, 
and probably a lot of people, most people don't watch foreign animated features. You know, uh, uh, what I think they listed that this here, like uh, one year there was the film um, Song of the Sea. You know, it's like who would have voted for Song of the Sea in the animated categories if not for other animators? You know, or uh, say uh, Miyazaki films. I mean, that one may be possibly because Miyazaki has some crossover with American audiences. But there's a lot of these films that, you know, if it wasn't for the animators voting in that category, they probably would never get any kind of recognition internationally. And I feel like opening up the, uh, the category while maybe encouraging more of a popular vote and getting some, you know, bigger candidates, I, I think it might devalue it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound snobbish saying that. Obviously, you want films that people will watch. But I think that's part of the joy of the Oscars is that it can expose you to films you've maybe never heard of before. You go, oh, the breadwinner. I, maybe I should check this out. See what this is all about. Why it's getting all this praise? I mean, uh, Ian, what's your thought on that personally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the type of thing where, yeah, a lot of your general audiences, not necessarily out of a lack of interest, but just out of a lack of availability, really, aren't going to see a lot of these small foreign animated movies. And it is one of those categories where it, it is going to end up becoming a more populist category if they were to open it up like that. And I don't necessarily know if that's the right decision because. A lot of these smaller animated movies, they're kind of banking on getting that recognition from getting a nomination. Because then, by getting that nomination, then a lot of people will seek them out who normally wouldn't even know about them. Wouldn't even know that they exist. Yeah, yeah. You know, even, uh, like I was saying, uh, the, 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 Seek, the Song of the Sea and Breadwinner, that's from the same uh, team and director, uh, Noah Twami. And that was the first launch for them was The Secret of Kells back in 2009. Yeah. Nobody had seen The Book of Kells except for critics. But that was the big push it got, where it's like, oh, this kind of put this director and this company, uh, G Kids, even further in the forefront uh, and say like, oh, well, maybe we should take some of their films a little bit more seriously in this case. And then, yeah, if you open it up to, you know, for the nominations, I, you know, I mean, those films are great, but I don't think people are going to clamor or say like, oh, Breadwinner is the best animated film I saw all year, which, granted, is from a really, really great book that I read a little bit of, and it's a really, really great piece of work, but uh yeah, I'm a little a little worried about this. What do you, what about you, JC? I mean, you commented a little bit on it already. Yeah, I mean, there's some some foreign animated films. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm guilty of not seeing enough of them as I should. Like I sure sure of uh, of the last few years, like I've seen April in the Extraordinary World um, and and things like that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't get exposed to as many because like I I like some Miyazaki films, but that, that sort of animation doesn't really it's not really my style, and so I sort of. Sure. I don't absorb as many of them as I should. Yeah, it's an acquired taste in some. I mean, there's been some animated contenders I wasn't crazy about either. I'm just like, nah, Cat in Paris, you know, it's an okay film, but you know, best animated film that year, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it was kind of nice to see something different, something that wasn't just your typical Pixar films. Especially because, you know, a lot of these movies are the ones that embrace a lot of the old-style uh, animation, you know, like 2D and computer-drawn um, hand animation kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that really coming out from the animated contenders. I mean, well, you know, Pixar, Disney, all these films, they only do really CG, you know, 3D animated films. So it's nice to see some variety. And then even um, the big one that's being championed in the animated category outside of of um, Coco and that such is the film Loving Vincent. Uh, if you guys have seen any of the ad for, for that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw it. It's um, It's definitely a gorgeous movie to look at, but at least my own feelings on it were... It's, it's visually a lot to take in, but I feel like it would have worked better as either a 30-minute short film or an art installation rather than an 80-minute movie. Oh, sure, sure. But, I mean, just the fact that it's something that is so, you know, different than the usual competition that you would see, you know, for this category. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's the type of thing that if you were to open the cat, you know, the category up to non-animators, I don't know if that would get the the same recognition that it that it would otherwise get. Yeah, and granted, I only knew the movie existed because I saw some Facebook advertisements for it, where I'm just like, <laughs> you know, you see all these lovingly crafted images. I'm like, okay, I, I just gotta look at this. What 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 is this? <laughs> but. And I'm sure, yeah, it looks beautiful just from even those short clips I saw. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. I mean, it it got some attention when the rule was announced back when they did the whole ban on, you know, films like OJ as well. Mm-hmm. And people kind of ignored it until this article came up on, um, I want to say it was either Variety or The Wrap. But, uh, oh, no, sorry, a Hollywood Reporter. And I'm just seeing if people will be aware of this or if they'll care, you know, to make any point about that. But... This transitions into that this last little article I had mentioned about uh, something that I felt is a little a little ridiculous. <laughs> now, th- this is an article from Variety, and they mentioned about the idea uh, for new Oscar voters to be bold enough, quote, quote, to embrace popular films. I mean, okay, look, obviously you want to watch the Oscars for films that you really like and you want to see get wins, and that's fine. But when you say that you want them to be bold enough to pick popular movies – and the picture that you have captioned on your article is Beauty and the Beast, the remake. <laughs> Look, I, that film is lavish and stylish in its production design and its costuming, but it's really not that good a movie to be nominated for Best Picture. No, no, it's a, it's a very hollow and empty movie. I Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that's part of the problem is that eternal debate of getting movies that people have actually seen versus recognizing films that are actually good. And I, those shouldn't be exclusive. But it seems like more and more we see this divide. Like even, you know, these films are up in the Indie Spirit Award. A lot, you know, Get Out was a huge hit. It has a lot of appeal for mass audiences. But, you know, who would actually watch The Florida Project? Who's going to watch Lady Bird? Who's going to watch, you know, Call Me By Your Name? Yeah. Unless it gets recognition at these kind of awards. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. Well, and that's the thing is like I'm, uh, I feel like this year especially we're talking about, you know, the, the kind of lack of any obvious front runners, but I feel like this has been a great year for a lot of a lot of genre stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and I feel like if there was a year for that stuff to start getting recognition more, because for me it's like, look, a great movie is a great movie. It doesn't matter what it's about, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so we have a year where we've had stuff like Get Out, we've had stuff like Logan, you know, we've had stuff, you know, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, these, you know, ostensibly very you know popcorn populist movies that are operating on that same kind of next level that something like a Florida Project is or something like, you know, like a Moonlight from last year was. Yeah. So it does seem ridiculous that we're still having this discussion of like, oh, are you going to be, you know, bold enough to embrace this movie? Well, no, if it's good, it's good. Like just it, it doesn't matter, you know, how big the price tag was or how many theaters it played in. Yeah, yeah I feel I feel like if uh, if movies like if movies like that were to start to be embraced in an awards in awards season, then I even if they start to do it, I feel like pretty quickly people would realize, yeah, this this isn't the way we should be going about it. This sort of cheapens the whole project. Like these movies already make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Why why do they need a statue to go with it? Like let's really try to tell people what movies are good as opposed to what's just going to make a lot of money. Yeah, you know, and that's a lot of the argument that gets made every year. Like even um. I remember 2014, people were trying to make that for Guardians, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're like, man, why didn't Guardians of the Galaxy get Best Picture of the Year? That was my favorite movie. That was so awesome. They're just a bunch of biased and prejudiced jerks and that stuff. It's like, look, Guardians is not hurting just because it didn't get a Best Picture nomination. I mean, it already got two Oscar nominations for makeup and visuals, which both were really, really good. Um, uh, but yeah, like, you know, they, they don't need the further validation of a Best Picture win, you know, for them to still be remembered as a great film. 
uh, and you know, a lot of those smaller films that were up that year, yeah, like, you you would never have heard or you know been a, been exposed to those if it wasn't for oh, they got like six Oscar nominations this year. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's a it's not a new argument. It's just one that continues to be drummed up every year to say like why can't we you know get films people have actually watched and to be fair part of the problem is people are not watching the oscar ceremony like they used to uh i think last year was the one of the lowest rating years they've had in like a long time yeah i think it it was even a a slightly up from the previous year too but even then it was still really really low so i can see what the motivation is to say hey we should get films that people have watched uh nominated but even then thinking about that I can't even think of like a big popcorn blockbuster film that would be worthy of best picture. I know the one that they're drumming up right now is um, Dunkirk, you mm. know, trying to get like, oh yeah, this is a film. It's Christopher Nolan. It's a, you know, it's a big summer blockbuster. It made a lot of money, but I mean, could you think of any other ones that would even be possible to be like popular and best picture worthy? I mean, I think, I think Blade Runner will definitely get some nominations and, and I'm pretty sure, you know, definitely some wins, at least in like the technical categories. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that that is the thing. Like realistically, like like part of me, you know, would love to see something like Logan get nominated because I think it's one of the best movies that came out this year. Realistically, I don't think it will be because again, it it a it came out so early in the year, and b it's still that whole oh well, it's a comic book movie. Yeah, and that genre stigma, like yeah, comic book movie, sci fi movie, where they're like, oh, that's not art. I, I do feel that's a little, you know, that, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. I mean, especially because now we're seeing, like, you know, Get Out is an exception where it came out really early in the year, like February. It's a horror movie that was made for, like, hmm. I, you know, like maybe single-digit, you know, millions. Yeah, yeah, that movie was made for, like, $4 million. Yeah, yeah. And yet it became this huge hit, and it's getting, ser- like, not just jokingly, it's actually getting serious discussion for Best Picture Prospects. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's okay for people to open up a little bit with the genre picks that maybe they're not the art films and I, I so i can see some merit in arguing like for popular movies i mean blade runner that is still my favorite movie of the year so far but it does have that problem where it didn't meet its box office expectations per se and you know it's it is it is very much an art movie you know it, yeah. it's made with some blockbuster sensibilities but you know i would never recommend it to my dad because i don't know if he would like it at all <laughs> but um get, yeah. get out has the potential for being in some in some pretty elite company because i think silence of the lambs is a january february release too and uh yeah and yeah if it wins for for a horror movie to win best picture being released that early in the year and those being the only two like that's really cool yeah yeah so i mean i think get out and dunkirk will be the big popular films getting uh pushed forward and i mean I know I was the defender. If you look at my Oscar predictions list, I put Blade Runner in a bunch of categories, and it deserves to get those nominations. Dang it! But yeah, Roger Deakins is still still has a one one right. So this would be this could, this could be the one. Yeah, you know which I mean, and uh, that's the big narrative right now. It's like yeah, this guy's been nominated thirteen times and hasn't won at all. Uh, now I know I talked to Ian about this back in New York because uh, we met up for the double toasted thing, and he did say that there was maybe a little bit of competition if he didn't win per se. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing is, because I'm all for, you know, Deacon's, you know, kind of getting, again, the recognition that he's long overdue for, um, and I and I do think that his work on Blade Runner is probably the best work of his entire career. Oh, yeah. Um, I do think, though, that he might have some pretty stiff competition, though, in the, the cinematography category with uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema for, for Dunkirk. And granted, Dunkirk looks beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dunkirk is an, a, like, gorgeous, gorgeous movie, and any other year, that would be my 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 pick for cinematography yeah i mean and cinematography i think is a little shallow this year too so i mean yeah there's really not a whole lot outside of those two movies you can think of off the top of your head yeah even um when i was making my list uh for like the possible five that would be nominated it's like 
almost all the same, you know, all the prediction sites are predicting the same films. And then I look at the films that are like the also rans and the possible nominations. I'm like, yeah, they look okay. But when I think of best cinematography, I think of the really sumptuous, gorgeous visuals. And none of those really had any of that. They, they were yeah. decently filmed. But uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But then, yeah, again, it's just, it's that issue of the popular films. And I, I don't want to devalue the need to get big hits to help attract attention for viewers for the ceremony. But when you make the argument for films that are really, I would argue, just not Oscar-worthy at all outside of maybe a couple categories, and again, Beauty and the Beast, it's it's a fine, it's fine, it made money, it made a lot of money, but when you th- say like, oh, well, th- they should be bold enough to vote for films like this for Best Picture, I, you know, I discredit that argument almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what goes on there. And I mean, and... You know, maybe if Star Wars is as amazing as everyone says it is, and it gets you know pushed for Best Picture, that could drive up numbers. But yeah, I mean, I I I keep hearing a lot of buzz on that movie that it's it's on that that level potentially. Yeah, but I mean, we had that same kind of push for uh, Force Awakens, and not to say that it you know shouldn't have deserved a Best Picture nomination, but that is a very steep uphill climb to push a film like Star Wars for a Best Picture nomination. Best well, Picture. and also it came out so late in the year. I think is also part of that problem. Yeah, and, you know, same with this, Last Jedi. So, yeah. I mean, if they're going to do it, they're going to have to start now, really. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that translates to gold or not. But uh, going from there, then, we've, you know, kind of t- hit a lot of these current stories. Uh, you know, and I mentioned about talking about the current state of the race. And like we've been kind of alluding to, I, I think it's a very – it's still a very shallow competition in the sense that a lot of potential Oscar candidates kind of fizzled, I felt like. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even I was saying Florida Project. Florida Project, I think, it, it's probably a very good movie. I really, really want to see it in the uh, local indie theater here. Now that I'm in Idaho and I have an indie theater I can go to. But I, I was amazed the fact that when I go to the prediction sites, it, everyone, it was on the list of, like, the top, you know, potential candidates in a lot of categories. And then it kind of just disappeared. You know, it was like, wait, I thought you guys all loved this movie. And it's like, well, we love Willem Dafoe in it. And, I mean, I'm sure, I think Willem Dafoe is probably going to be the most solid pick for that for that film but then yeah it's like you know again being released too early maybe maybe it didn't hit the right audience or the right get the right push but. well and, and and i think florida project you know which is a great movie but i don't think that has for an awards audience the same kind of wide appeal necessary to get a lot of the major nominations and major wins like it's it is a lot like uh sean barker's last film tangerine where it's a great movie but it is mm-hmm. it's very niche yeah, I mean, Tangerine is biggest praise with the fact that it was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. I mean, not to say the film itself was bad, but that was the big, buzzy, you know, thing like, oh, man, can you see this film? It was shot entirely on an iPhone with a special <laughs> lens, of course, but, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting to see that. And then, you know, even other films, uh, I feel like Three Billboards right now is still hot enough that it's getting a lot of big push. It's got a lot of good reviews. But there's some maybe debate on whether it's a best picture worthy film or it's like, well, these parts are really good about it. And I think that's... You know, as the the race shapes up over the next month or so, we start to see who's getting you know pushed in one category and the other kind of thing. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's got the legs to to stay throughout the throughout the race. Like through, it's because it's not just a really great performance uh, from Francis McDormand. Sam Rock, Rockwell's got a really uh, his performance is really good. And it's got a really nice arc to it. Um, He's actually one of the big pushes people are making for a supporting actor. Yeah, uh, I, and- I could see that. Yeah, no, and I think that would be really cool to see him get nominated because he's, you know, that supporting actor is a good category for those, like, longtime character actors or those guys that everyone knows, everyone loves, but you wait for that one movie to recognize them in. Because, um, 
Well, I mean, not even support actor, lead actor too, because uh, Richard Jenkins was one of those guys when he finally got nominated for The Visitor. Because how long has he been in the game? You know, he's been in so many great movies, and it takes that one film to really put him in the limelight again. And uh, so, yeah, maybe this will be the case with Sam Rockwell in that case. Um, but then, you know, so looking at some of the, like, future releases, like, there's still one month ago of big releases, and there's a few films that we still haven't seen yet. So I'm going to ask uh, also, have you guys seen The Shape of Water yet? Uh, no. No, not yet. Okay, because uh, th- uh, there's that, and then there's maybe three or four other films that I know haven't been seen yet by anybody, and it's going to really affect the race, whether they're well-received or not. Because um, the other ones are The Post, uh, Spielberg's new film, mm. uh, The Greatest Showman, uh, which I've not heard anything else about other than people think it might be Oscar-worthy, but, you know, again... Sometimes wishful thinking doesn't translate very well to Oscar prospects. I feel I feel like that one. My 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 betting money is people feel that way because of the timing of the movie. But I think it'll it'll just I, I I don't think it'll 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 be too weak. I think the, the competition will be too strong. It might be okay, but I, yeah, yeah, that's my no, feeling I, on it. I agree. Yeah, and I think that there's that, and then I think there's you know maybe one or two other small films, and then Star Wars, and I think that's really those are the biggest question marks for the year so far. Uh uh, other than that, though, when I think about the the films that are really getting pushed to the forefront, again, we've kind of mentioned, you know, Dunkirk, Three Billboards. Um, oh gosh, what else? Uh, uh, Molly, she, Molly's Game, maybe. Okay, you know, and I want to ask you about that. So, I mean, you haven't seen Molly's Game yet, have you? No. Okay, uh, that one has been interesting because you know, again, it's Aaron Sorkin. You know, people have there's some built-in street cred for that, but it seems like it debuted at the festivals. It got some really good reception, and then it kind of evaporated too. I mean. I don't know what happened there, but from right here, it sounds like a really, really cool movie. And I love, um, what's her name? Jessica Chastain. Yeah. And I put, I listed her as one of my predictions for best actress, but I don't know what else that film would have to do to get back into the, you know, the spotlight other than just either being re-released again for like a limited release or something like that. Yeah. I feel like it's, I, I feel like it's, it's only, it's max potential is screenplay and, and best actress for, uh, for Jessica Chastain. That's probably about it, but I, I mean, I, I'm still looking forward to it for those two things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then one big question mark I had, and this is kind of uh, going into uh, films. I just, I still haven't seen this yet, but I hope to actually watch it uh, this week, is the film Mudbound. This is going to be interesting because there's still whole controversy about is Netflix worthy of being Oscar worthy? You know, like, like can you actually put a Netflix film in consideration? Uh, have you guys seen uh, this film yet? No, not yet. Yeah, I haven't, okay. I haven't sat down and watched it yet. Now, I'm very curious because, on the one hand, I don't want to judge too early without actually having seen the film. But on the other hand, like, you know, what is it going to have to take for a streaming service like that? Because we, now we've seen Amazon, you know, a, uh, a company that can do, like, sh- for streaming but also theatrical release. Like, what is it about Netflix? Like, do you think this is going to be their potential Oscar vehicle? Uh, is there too much competition? Like, what, what are your thoughts on Mudbound potential and Netflix as an Oscar candidate kind of thing? Um, I mean, I, I feel like Netflix is is plenty viable i think they're willing to to take on some ideas that aren't as status quo as a as as a, what a lot of studios make and so in that sense they'll they'll take chances on, on stuff that the big studios won't and so that's sort of why i would i would lend them credibility okay okay hmm. yeah I, I know and again i there's no right answer for this and i'm you know i'm struggling to think of the, the right way to word my thoughts on it but uh it, it's just it's interesting to see like you know uh, you know, as the nature of film distribution shapes, how that's going to affect shows like this. Because, you know, people are not going to the theaters as much. You know, there, there's some resurgence with stuff like movie passes and that kind of stuff trying to attract millennial generations to watch movies in the theaters. 
But the more that we're releasing films straight to Netflix or straight to Amazon or straight to Hulu, you know, they're going to have to be some real reconsiderations for what we consider, you know, theatrical release or worthy of Oscar consideration kind of thing. Yeah. And maybe Mudbound's an answer. Probably not. It's I've noticed that there's been a considerable drop in the considerations of if it's best picture worthy. And, you know, so be it. That's that's going to be people's opinions on that. But I mean, I think there's just too big a question mark there to know. It was like, oh, well, this will be the year that Netflix will break out into the big categories. Because, I mean, they get they get at least documentary recognition. And that's fine. But, uh, yeah, it's too big a question mark in that case. But, um, uh, you know, there's a couple other points I want to talk about. So have there been any other um, of the Oscar consideration films you guys have seen recently that you wanted to talk about off the top of your heads? Uh, nothing. Nothing's really jumping to mind right now. Yeah, the most recent thing I've seen was, was three billboards, and it's and it's fantastic. And I think uh, I think it's got a chance for for multiple awards. It, it's and it'd be one of those weird movies because it's not gonna it's not gonna win anything technical. Like La La Land had a lot of technical awards last year. This um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean maybe editing for three billboards, but like it, it's purely a performance driven movie. Um, Francis McDormand is great. Sam Rockwell's great. Woody Harrelson is great. It, yeah, not a weak performance throughout it. Yeah, it's really about the actors and Martin McDonough, it seems like. You know, that's going to be the big one. Just like, oh, it's a Martin McDonough movie. So obviously the writing's going to be, you know, quirky and interesting and thoughtful and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And I, I mean, I haven't seen a lot either. I'm hoping this week, since it's Thanksgiving and I have a holiday break, to go to the indie theater and just go like, yeah, I'm going to watch this, 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 and this. But um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting. And I really want to see Mudbound just to see if it's even possibly worthy. I've been hearing kind of mixed reviews, even though... Rotten Tomatoes, you wouldn't know for sure because they still give it a 95% approval, but it seems all their views are very like, it's good, you know, so, you know, again, Rotten Tomatoes is entirely credible in that case. But um, anyway, uh, now I wanted to make it an opportunity to talk about, uh, and I listed here, so three movies that you would hope would get no- nominations no matter how likely or not it seems. And, you know, again, we were saying like the potential for genre films and stuff that usually get ignored in this category, but every now and then, you know, no matter how big or small the category, like Best Picture or Best Song or something like that, somehow a film will creep in and you're like, oh, I didn't expect that at all. I mean, freaking Fifty Shades of Grey is an Oscar-nominated film, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> but, and, and you know, I, no disrespect to The weekend. I think that song is actually not that bad, you know, all things considered. But uh, if you can pick, like, an out of blue, like, three films that you really would love to see get some kind of recognition in any category, uh, Ian, what would you say were maybe some of your picks for that? Um, hmm. um, I know a lot of the the discussion around Dunkirk has been the uh, the cinematography, but I really feel like the 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 editing in that movie, you know, just being able to kind of keep track of all the different narratives uh, that are all kind of running, you know, at, at different points in time, I think deserves a lot of recognition. Um, as well as the screenplay for that movie, which I know there's not a lot of dialogue in it. You know, it's a very very sparse, very visual movie, but still to be able to kind of construct that story on paper you know and that and kind of that be your starting point i feel like is definitely worth um worth talking about you know worth worth uh worth a second look um trying to think what else off the top of my head i mean obviously yeah i'd love to see logan get you know some sort of nomination um (laughs) that's all i can think of off the top of my head right now i'm sure something will pop up in a second no that's fine that's fine um, uh, what about you, JC? Uh, I mean, I, Kevin Spacey might kind of taint it, but I mean, I feel, I'd, I'd love for Baby Driver to get some kind of recognition and like maybe editing mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, 
at least editing because it is it is a really great action movie and i feel like it's edited well um wonder woman had so many great moments it feels like it i feel like it deserves nomination somewhere along the line um Mm -hmm. and and yeah like we were talking about earlier i think it, it it would be weird and funny to see james franco nominated for playing tommy wiseau Oh it, yeah, it'd be Can't so wait. interesting and, and weird, but yeah. Oh, I I really hope so, and I think actually, um, from what I'm seeing in the prediction categories, I think Disaster Artist might have a good chance of getting a screenplay nomination, uh, which I really hope so because those two guys who write it, um, Scott Newstatter and uh, the other guy, <laughs> the other guy from Wham, but um, uh, they write really really good scripts. They did uh, End of the Tour. They did um, Back There Now, uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Mm. They they really do really good indie character-driven stories. And I think, you know, this might be the most commercial product they've had in a while that they could really, you know, push themselves with. Uh, so that'd be really, really cool to see it get even more than just James Franco to get some other recognition for that film. Again, best picture, maybe, if it's a you know, weak enough year, but we'll see. For me, I, I thought about this for a little bit, and there's a few films that, again, I don't know if they'll actually get any chances, but it'd just be nice to see if they get recognized. Uh, I know everyone's talking about Thor right now, but for me still, my favorite MCU film this year was Spider-Man Homecoming. And it's hard to say if it even is Oscar worthy, um, you know, to get a nomination in certain categories. But for a few technical awards, I would just love to see it get recognized for a film that really was a surprise in how good it actually was. Uh, you know, maybe for like sound or something like that. I, I would really love to see that. Uh, one film I know they're trying to push it and it kind of got caught in the crossfires of the Weinstein controversy. Uh, the film Wind River with uh, Jeremy Renner. Oh, yeah, I, I like that movie. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. I don't like it more than Hell or High Water, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of shut out. But I think for being as small a film as it is, for being a first-time directorial job by Taylor Sheridan, I think it really, really impressed me. And I'd love to see it get, you know, maybe some sound recognition, maybe, uh, you know, pop, like sneak in a, a screenplay nomination. Again, very highly unlikely. But I would just love to see it get that kind of love, especially with how difficult it is now to get itself promoted without a big name studio behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one, this is purely fantasy, but gosh dang it, I loved it. I, I thought that mm. was a really, really good movie. And, you know, again, it's not best picture. It's not going to be a best picture candidate kind of thing. But no one's talking about it for sound, editing, cinematography, makeup. That seems like one of the obvious ones it should be competing for. Actually, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's not that it's not getting any studio support. If it's just that people are like, "Oh, it's a horror movie. We don't really take that seriously." I'm just surprised. I'm surprised that it's just not getting any kind of attention. And maybe I don't know. Maybe they're just happy the fact that it was a huge box office bonanza, you know, for them, <laughs> especially off a film that was only thirty million dollars to make and it just you know scored bank internationally. Uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm again I'm still surprised sometimes these films that should you know be no-brainers in certain categories and it's just like nope nobody's talking about it nobody is giving it any love but yeah yeah there, there is uh one one last thing i got there is um a little movie that came out uh, this last summer uh, that i'd love to see get maybe like a screenplay nomination or, or just uh some buzz in that in that respect and that's uh brigsby bear you know uh, I, okay. I, i've Never been meaning to see that one yeah yeah, what... yeah you know it's a really really great really weird movie but i i i'd love to see it get yeah something for for screenplay or something like that yeah, no, I mean, I know everyone I've talked to has seen it. They really, really like it. Yeah, it is it is a very small film. Cause, uh, do you know yeah. the company behind it? Like, was it 824? Uh, no, it wasn't 824, but I know, um, um, like, uh, the the Lonely Island guys put it out. I think uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were producers on it. 
Right, right. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I can see. So yeah, it, it, it'd be a very uphill climb, but yeah, I mean, hey, sometimes it's cool to see those films. You're just like, I didn't even knew this film existed. I yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. It's it's a weird, quirky little comedy that's got a lot of heart to it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I yeah, that, that's that's really exciting. Yeah, so, even um, even as far as like quirky comedies that that are different from the status quo, um, like rom coms are are so basic and formulaic. But I think The Big Sick was was clever enough. Oh uh, and, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it would be amazing to see see it get some kind of recognition that way. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because the talk is going to die down a little bit because you know, again, released in the summer, it was a good financial hit, but it wasn't like a runaway hit like I'm sure they were hoping, but. Uh, having said that, I think that screenplay-wise, it is a solid contender. Maybe not, not actually getting the nomination, but if any one of the big, you know, five or six falter, that will pick up the spot for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the one I really hope for, uh, Holly Hunter. I thought she was fantastic in that movie. I, if if any actor should get a nomination for that film, I think she is the strongest bet. And I think that she would be totally deserved if she got a nomination for it. Yeah. Uh, so then, yeah, writing down uh, just a couple of the categories, you know, Let's just say this. So then from the big actual, you know, like the, the biggest competitors right now, like who are the ones that you're really looking for, like like, like rooting for and hoping to get secure nominations? Uh, Ian, what about you in this case? Um, hmm. I don't know. Uh, uh, come back to me on that one. I got to think about that. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I mean, and JC, you've seen quite a few of these films already. Like, you know, you probably know some of the ones that are getting the big pushes right now. Like, what are the ones that you're really, like, championing uh, this race? I, I mean, this is a story I was obsessed with when it happened. And so I was really excited to see I, Tanya. And it's a really great movie. Uh, I think it, and it opens up, it opens up that story in a way in which something that I think a lot of us, especially if we follow that story in the 90s, think we know. Uh, there's so much about the story we don't know. And... You know, some of it is probably embellished for the movie, but Margot Robbie, who who I already think is a really great actress, uh, just completely becomes Tanya Harding. And yeah, I think everything about that movie is, is great. And so I I feel like it's a nomination for Best Picture. My, probably not shoe in but it, I definitely wouldn't be surprised. I don't necessarily think it's got a chance, but uh, yeah, I'd love to see it nominated in, in several forms, and I'm sure it will be. Um, probably the same for uh, three billboards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I can't wait to see Itania. But sorry, go ahead again. Oh, I was gonna say, um, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, um, Itania. I saw it as well, and it's it's fantastic, and, and Margot Robbie's great in it. Yeah, and you know, Fr- yeah, Francis McDormand and three billboards. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of you know, it's been talked about a lot the last few months, but you know, I'd I'd like to see if this were the year that um, Andy Serkis gets something, some sort of recognition for. His work on the Apes movies. Oh yeah, I thought about we, mentioning. We always hope. Yeah, always. Yeah, hope. we. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and he's. I think War of the Planet of the Apes is probably his best performance of the three. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and that and that's another movie going back to earlier of like stuff that you'd want to see get recognition, but probably won't. Yeah, you know, you say that, but I think um, obviously visual effects it's the strongest category for sure. But yeah. I've been seeing some chatter around for a few of the other technical categories, like maybe for sound mixing and editing, uh, hmm. music. I thought the music was really good in Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that score is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Michael Giacino, who's just, you know, one of the best composers working today. So yeah. if if it got a push for that, I'd love to see it get – because the previous two films have only gotten nominations for visual effects. So I think for a film that I think is probably the best of the three Planet of the Apes movies, I'd love to see it get maybe that extra push thing. Like, yeah, I got the expected visual effects nominations, but then also maybe like – 
yeah, another technical nomination. Maybe mm-hmm. that Dream Andy Circus nomination. I think there's just still that pushback from the Academy in that category, but that would be amazing. I, I, and it totally deserved, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a few that I'm really hoping for. I mean, obviously, I can't say much about Shape of Water until it actually comes out and I see it. But the trailers I've seen for that movie so far, I, I love when Guillermo del Toro's on point. And I feel like he's a director who's not on point all the time. But when he is, he makes amazing movies. Uh, I've still always said that Pan's Labyrinth is one of three movies that I've ever actually openly wept in the theater while watching it. Because it just hit me that hard. It was so good. And, you know, again, Shape of Water, maybe it will. Maybe it won't win me over in that case. But I really, I hope that it is as good as everyone's uh, buzzing it to be. I'm still going to be the flag waver for Blade Runner 2049 until I'm proven otherwise in that case. (laughs) But I really do think, like, I think it's been getting unfairly maligned by some of the, you know, more popular critics kind of thing where they're like, oh, well, it's really not as smart as you think it is. It's boring and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, look, opinion is opinion, but I think the technical ma- mastery that that film displays and how, you know, the fact that Denis Villeneuve took a thing, a project that by all accounts shouldn't have been good. You know, people, no one was asking for a sequel to Blade Runner exactly, but the fact that it ended up being as good a movie as it was, yeah, I think there is some love that should be given back to the film for that. And yes, sure, maybe underperformed in financially. I think that's part of the problem of making a $150 million art film. <laughs> that's a very uphill climb to begin with. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a Blade Runner movie that made Blade Runner money. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even then, not a whole lot of money, but yeah. uh, if you look at it proportionally. But yeah, I mean... And I doubt it's going to get a lot of big category stuff. I mean, I w- I'm still going to push back to picture because looking at the contenders, I think it has a shot. You know, if they, if they market it just right, it maybe might be able to. It's definitely going to get ca- um, sound, cinematography, editing, some of the other technical categories. Uh, I really hope the music gets recognized because I think um, Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wallfish, they made a really great score that didn't just ape um, Vangelis' score, but it made a really, really unique impact on the film itself. Yeah, yeah, that score that, that score is very much kind of indicative of of the of the movie itself, where it, it it definitely feels kind of cut of the same cloth as the first movie score, but is very much its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's funny because there, there was that difficulty of trying to get the composers because it was going to be uh, Johan Johansson, yeah. and I I don't know if he would have been the best fit for it. But I mean, not to say Johan Johansson is not a great composer, but I'm I'm glad it ended up being the score that it was. Uh and then other than that, uh, I'm trying to look at all the... Um, you know what? One film I feel like kind of got unfairly cast aside. Maybe it wasn't everyone's favorite film, but I know the film Detroit. Um, mm. I'm sure... I wonder if you guys had seen that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have. It's... Um, I don't know. It's weird. In, in comparison to something like Zero Dark Thirty, I, it's really good, and a lot of the performances are, are great in it. I, I, I think it's got the stigma of being released too early in the year, and I don't think it's overall strong enough to to really kind of compete with with stuff that, that'll come out later in the year probably but it's very good yeah no it's it's oscar chances are very slighted and it, that's a shame you know from what i know about the film to be a pretty good film and I, I mean even even saying that maybe it's not the strongest of Catherine bigelow's work i think she's still a quality enough director and you know craftsman that it shouldn't just be completely ignored just because it came out too early or it's a topic that people are like oh well do we have to keep talking about this i mean yeah, we keep talking about it because it makes for good drama, you know, <laughs> just because it's an uncomfortable topic. Sometimes you can make really good movies out of uncomfortable topics. Yeah, uh, I, I walked out of that movie going, oh, we're a terrible country. <laughs> we're, we're all terrible people. 
<laughs> I'm sure that's true. And this is something that happened, what, was it set in the 60s or 70s, right? Or uh, 60s. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. But uh, yeah, I mean, the one I was surprised, um, this is a total fantasy prediction. I listed it on like, you know, long shots, I think, in the supporting actor category. But uh, Will Poulter, man, in Detroit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that guy, maybe Detroit won't be the film that gets him any recognition, but that guy's up for something someday. You know, I think he's got a he, yeah. lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he goes in that Michael Fassbender category for me, where he's so good at playing just a racist piece of shit that if I see him on the street, <laughs> I have to like, use every fiber of my being not to punch him in the face. I know, just just that, that face of his. You know, just something about it, the way his eyes are shaped, the way that he can just give you that scowl, even without trying kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to go back and watch him, and we are, we're the Millers, so just kind of get to sort of even it out. Yeah, I remember it's like, oh, yeah, he wasn't a bad guy in The Revenant. He was one of the nicer characters in that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, again, it's, it's fantasy. It's probably not going to happen. But even if it was just in discussion, I think that would be nice to see, give him some recognition for, you know, people say that he's one of the better performances in that movie. And, I mean, the people who are up in the cont- contention for supporting actor category, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, it's, what, Willem Dafoe, Army Hammer, uh, Sam Rockwell. But then there's a lot of question marks in that one. You know, even saying, like, Mark Rylance. Oh, he's good in Dunkirk. I I don't think he's Oscar worthy per se. I mean, he's, he's only in the movie for so long. Well, that's I mean, a, yeah, that's the thing about a movie like Dunkirk is it's not like the performances. There's no one standout performance because of the way that story is structured. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's just one of those things. But yeah, I'd love to see, you know, some recognition going to Detroit, even if it's just like sound, because um, the guy does the sound mixing and the editing a lot for uh, Captain Bigelow's movies. Um, Paul N.J. Otteson. He does great work, you know, just listening to how the sound works in Zero Dark Thirty and in Hurt Locker. They're just really, really good. Really, really, you know, they, they hit just the right notes of the volume and the scale and the impact of the sound effects. So I don't want to see him just be completely ignored, but it sounds like people have kind of just already moved past Detroit by this point. But um, yeah, I mean, we've been going on for about, you know, a good over an hour now. Uh, and, you know, again, for people listening, this is still very new. I'm still finding my footing on these categories. But, you know, I'm really excited to talk about this race. I feel like there's a lot of stuff, you know, because it's such a question mark, because it's such a, you know, who knows who's going to win this year. It, it opens a lot of potential for like, oh, speculation on who could get the recognition, who can really, you know, make it past, you know, stiff, you know, how do you say, just, you know, a lot of potential for surprises. And I feel like that makes some of the most exciting Oscar races is when you see that film, you're like, I had no idea this would have been as good a movie as it was, or I had no idea this was going to go as far as it did. But uh, I mean, what are your thoughts, Ethan, on just this current state of the race and what you're looking forward to this year for that? No, sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> sorry. Walked away from my computer for two seconds. Oh, um, no, yeah, no, I, I feel like, um, yeah, at this point, the, the race, it, it is really, it's up for grabs. Like anybody could take it at this point. And we're kind of right on that precipice of, like, the big final push with December coming around, where I feel like in about two weeks we'll have a better idea of what's going to be in contention and what's not going to be in contention. You know, with stuff like Disaster Artist, with stuff like Shape of Water about to come out, you know. I feel like it'll be weird if, say, a month from now we're having the same conversation where we don't know really what the front runner or front runners are going to be. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm, – I'm very curious to see how over the next couple of weeks – how this race is going to kind of, uh, uh, how it's going to unfold. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and there's still, at least, yeah, like we said, there's still like maybe five major contenders who haven't even had previews yet. No one yeah. knows if they're going to be good movies or not. 
So it's really going to shake up the race if any of those ones suddenly just come out. They're like, oh, that's the best film of the year. You know? Well, that's the thing is you have a couple of movies like Phantom Thread, like The Post, that came together very, very quickly. So while they're coming out in a few weeks, nobody's seen them yet because they're not done yet. I totally forgot about Phantom Thread. I, I, <laughs> you know, and that's the sad thing. I, I don't want to feel like I'm just like, oh, well, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, whatever. But I will say I know I'm not, you know, it's still very divisive. I hated Inherent Vice. Mm-hmm. I really could not stand that movie. Not to say I don't di- dislike Paul Thomas Anderson because of that, but it's just it's one of the things that kind of really affected my view of Phantom Thread. I'm like, well, is he going to be that Paul Thomas Anderson or is he going to be There Will Be Blood Paul Thomas Anderson? I, yeah. I, still... I think it's going to be more There Will Be Blood Paul Thomas Anderson if that trailer is going to be any indication. See, because that one I still feel like, well, maybe The Master Paul Thomas Anderson at best, mm, which The yeah. Master I really liked a lot, but yeah. it really was more about the performances than anything else in the movie. But uh, And also the fact that he's shooting the movie himself. He's doing his own cinematography in that film, which yeah. I don't think he's ever done for any of his films yet. Uh, no, no. He wanted to do – and he's, it's something he's been wanting to do for a while and because um, he normally works with uh, Robert Ellswit. Um, but I think he was – Ellswit was busy shooting, I think, Mission Impossible. So, yeah, he just was like, all right, I'll, I'll shoot it myself. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. It's going to you – know, it's going to be a very interesting race if this film actually suddenly turns out to be really, really good. Yeah. And I'm hoping. I, I don't want to see Paul Thomas Anderson fail. I like seeing yeah. him do well. But, um, yeah, JC, uh, what are some of your thoughts on the race? Like, what you're looking forward to most? Uh, you know, just in your impressions so far. Um, I mean, I'm curious to see, yeah, some of the ones that have come out that we haven't talked about. I always am curious to see some of the the really late surprises, kind of like the hidden figures of last year. Mm-hmm. That seemed to come on really late. And when I saw it, I thought it was good. And as it got closer and closer, I was like, oh, it's generating some real buzz. I feel like it's got a shot here. Um, and so, yeah, something like that, like the really late December, early Januarys that, that still count towards the March Oscars, like something that comes out that late. I'm curious to see if there's going to be any movies like that this year. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, we'll, like Ian said, we'll find out in like within the next week or two if that's really going to be the case. Because I think a few more of the festivals are going to come out that show the last few films that no one's seen. You know, and, uh, you know, not all of them are going to be hits. I'm pretty sure all the money in the world has no chances of getting nominations this year, <laughs> which it sucks. But, I mean, it's, when, when was the last time released? Well, okay. I was going to say when was the last time released got made a movie worth noting, but The Martian was really good. Yeah. I mean, so I feel that's more that's more a credit to the book being really good than really Scott being the great director. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, and the Drew Goddard script. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, Drew Goddard, one of those greats. So, uh, but, yeah. And... <laughs> I still can't believe they cut out Kevin Spacey entirely to refilm with Christopher Plummer. Man, that is <laughs> honestly, honestly, Ridley Scott is one of the only people though I could can I could buy being able to pull that off in such a short period of time. Oh sure, yeah, I'm just like even this movie, like like just this March, Ridley Scott was like, yeah, I think this might be my next movie, and then cut to like five months later, the trailer's out. <laughs> yeah, and then. I mean, yeah, so it's just going to be interesting to see when it finally debuts at a festival with the new Christopher Plummer footage, what people yeah. are going to think about it. I mean, because, again, I, mean, I didn't really put it on any of my predictions just because it seems like, you know, of all the uphill climbs that other films have to make, that would be the biggest one. So they go from, oh, yeah, this pariah of a movie with, you know, someone who's a convicted sex offender now, pretty much, to, oh, well, suddenly it's actually really, really good. But, uh, yeah, that would be fun But uh, to see how that turns out. But... On that note, I mean, is there anything else that I that we missed talking about that you guys wanted to bring up uh, before we finish off? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered everything uh, as far as where everything's at right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JC, yourself? Um, no, I feel like we, we covered a lot for this first episode. 
Yeah, no, this is this is really exciting. And we're still finding our footing in this case, but I'm really happy to have you guys on for this episode. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, so then for everyone still listening, uh, the you're talking about the upcoming events, I just wanted to run through a few of the notable dates. So on the 27th, we're going to get the awards for the Gotham Awards uh, for the winners. And Gotham Awards, they usually don't translate well to Oscar success, but there were a few notable nominations, and I'm curious to see what happens because of that. Uh, you know, I, Tanya, that was one of the first ones that launched I, Tanya to the Oscar competition because that was the one that's like, oh, this film's actually really that good, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big one that's going to be one of the major contender, I mean, the major uh, predictors is the National Board Review that will come out on the 28th when they announce their winners. And usually that's the one that's taken seriously as like the first major, like, you know, first major competition to really show, oh, these are the films that the voters are probably going to look for, you know, once the ballots are sent out. Uh, and then... On the 30th, that's when the uh, New York Film Critics um, Circle is going to announce their winners. And again, these are all building up to the bigger and bigger and bigger contenders. So it's going to be fun within this next week or two to come back and say, hey, you know, after all of this, this is what, you know, this is what rose, this is what shrunk. Uh, It's going to be really, really exciting. So, yeah, uh, thank you both again for your time and thank you all for listening. We'll probably be back within another week or so. And just see how the race is going. So until then, uh, glad talking to you guys and stay tuned. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Sweet. Yeah. All right. No, no, thank you guys for that. It's still a little shaky, but uh, no, 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 no problem, man. No problem at all. Yeah, that was yeah, good. Yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to just send me your audio files, my email is Justin. Email is Justin. Email is Justin. Email is Justin. Email is Justin.